Last week, our family attended our first professional game in 2023. It was a Major League Baseball game, and it was a thoroughly enjoyable day. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Lab Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Before I get into some of the details about our family's game, a Major League Baseball game that we enjoyed last week, I've got to go back to last week's episode where I said something that was based upon basically my whole life having something in place and forgetting that last year it changed. So last week I mentioned that by Monday, October 2nd, we would know what teams had qualified for the postseason unless there was a need for a tiebreaker game. Well, in my whole life, until the 2022 season, There was such a game, often referred to as game number 163, but that's no longer the case. There is a tiebreaker set up, but it does not involve a tiebreaker game. And so I apologize for that mistake, and I hope that if you, like me, were kind of just thinking about the way things used to be, I didn't get you excited about something, that's not going to take place. But going back to our family, so my wife and I had planned this trip for a while. We did not tell any of our children. We still have six children living at home. On Tuesday, our children had a cross-country meet. And from there, we left and started heading south, children having no idea where we were going. Finally, they started asking questions, and they figured it out. We were heading to Atlanta. And we were heading to Atlanta because the next day, the Braves and the Phillies had a game at Truist Park at 1220. And so we were able to go to that game and enjoy it. I've mentioned before, my two youngest sons are Braves fans. My oldest son that's still in the home, who turned 18 just a couple of months ago, he's a Phillies fan. So this was great. Braves versus Phillies. We had great seats, at least from my perspective, because it's the area in which I have watched many games in my life, which is either down the left field line or right field line or from the basically behind the wall. We were about 40 feet removed from the visitor's bullpen, so in this case, the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen. And it was a beautiful day for a baseball game. Now, I've never been to Truist Park. As a matter of fact, the last time I was at a game in Atlanta, I was a player, and that was Fulton County Stadium. So I completely missed Turner Field, and this is my first visit to Truist Park. And even before you get into the stadium proper, I love the setup outside of it. I think it's called the Atlanta Battery. And there are shops, food, uh, drinks, different shops, and it's just a great environment. And then as you go into the ballpark, it is a very beautiful ballpark. Now, I will have to say this, the the scenery uh, over the outfield fence doesn't compare to PNC in Pittsburgh, but still a beautiful park and a beautiful day. And I love those seats. I love them for multiple reasons, including being able to observe what's going on in the game. 
that you cannot see on television. And so I sit there in left field. I've got the view of the whole field, and I'm watching the defense. And, and there were some things that, I guess, surprised me or confused me. There were a number of times in which, while the pitcher was in his delivery, there was no movement at all by a number of position players. There were a number of times in which, when the ball was approaching and going through the hitting zone, many of the defenders were flat-footed. There were even times in which I saw some outfielders that were moving back into their position while the pitch was being delivered. And I'm like, man, I don't get this at all. Now, maybe things are being taught differently now. I'm just a pitching guy. What do I know? But I thought, "Eh, that's a little strange. But outside of that, it was a wonderful day. And it was a day in which the game started out looking not so good for my two youngest sons. Nick Castellanos hit a home run in his first two at-bats in that game, and he's really stayed hot since Wednesday. And so the Phillies had a 4-0 lead going into the bottom of the fourth. But the Braves came back to tie the game. So now all of my sons are really into it. And my younger sons, in particular my 14-year-old son Amos, was very happy to be able to engage in the tomahawk chop. So the game is now tied going into the bottom of the ninth. Atlanta gets a base runner on, and Luke Williams comes off the bench for the Braves as a pinch runner. He promptly steals second base. He's there with nobody out. The Phillies get an out. Orlando Arcia comes to the plate. Luke Williams steals third base. So now he is the winning run, bottom of the ninth, on third base with one out. Arcia lifts a fly ball into right field, down the right field line. And the fly ball actually takes Nick Castellanos, who's playing right field to the Braves, or for the Braves, to foul territory, into foul territory. And so I'm watching this from the left field bleachers, or left field seats, and I'm thinking, I know he's going to let this ball drop. It's a foul ball, he's going to let it drop, because it's going to be tough to get Luke Williams out at the plate. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking many of the same things, but without the excitement, because I really didn't have a a dog in the fight, if you will, but I was thinking many of the same things as John Cruck was. Midfield in, go-ahead run, winning run is at third. Fly ball, right field. Castellanos is over, near foul territory. What should he do? He makes the catch, coming home is Williams. The throw to the plate, it's a beauty. He is out of home plate. What a throw by Castellanos to get Luke Williams, and the ninth inning is over. He got himself set. And he fired a one-hopper. Williams did not get a great jump. Garrett Stubbs got a great tag. And we're going extra innings. I love that from Cruck. Let it go. Let it go. No, no, no. And then, yeah. And I'll tell you what. It was an outstanding play by Castellanos. He was in foul territory, very close to the wall. He caught the ball, had a spin, made a good throw, good tag, out at the plate, inning over. Very exciting play. Not so exciting, for the first time in my life in a major league game, when I was still involved in the game as a pitching coordinator, I saw it at the minor league level, but I had to witness it at the major league level. That is, of course, the base runner at second base to start the inning. I am not a fan of that in any capacity. But the Phillies went on to win in 10. So our family had a great day, a great time traveling down to and being in Atlanta. That was Wednesday. Earlier in the week, somebody, a player, had a very special accomplishment. And the clip I'm about to play may be the lengthiest clip that I've played ever in the bullpen. 
but it is well worth taking it all in because it is the highlights of a very special accomplishment that took place Monday. One can only imagine the emotions of that man as he makes his way to the center of the St. Louis Diamond. The much-anticipated start here for Adam Wainwright, looking to get number 200 in his career. Gotta love having defense like that behind you, the gold glover, the platinum glover. I think Wayno like that. Yeah. Strike three, bottom of the zone. Wayno has his first strikeout and a one, two, three, scoreless second inning. Down the middle, struck him out looking. Fastball. And that is the second straight backwards K recorded by Adam Wainwright. He got it. 87 and sinking. Wainwright has his third strikeout. He's got four shutout innings under his belt. And we remain scoreless in game one. Ground ball right at the back. Step on the bag. There's another double play. Wayno's got two of them. He protects a one-nothing lead. Good work by Mason Wynn up the middle. All season long, pulling for Adam Wayne right here. Fly ball center. Wayno is through seven. Needing six outs will go to the bullpen as Wayno goes seven shutout at home tonight. Popped him up. Edmund is out. Adam Wainwright, welcome to the 200 win club. up win number 200 joining Jesse Haynes and Bob Gibson as the only members of the Cardinals to ever reach 200 and he did it in grand fashion Jim what an accomplishment as you heard only the third Cardinal pitcher in history to record 200 wins he is only the 122nd pitcher in Major League Baseball history with 200 wins That game was Monday, St. Louis at home hosting the Brewers. And Wainwright went seven shutout. Only four hits, a couple of walks, three strikeouts. And think about the bullpen, the relievers that had to finish that game out. It was a one-nothing game. There was some pressure on them to try to secure win number 200 for Wainwright. And they did. Now, I watched Waino pitch a couple of weeks ago against the Braves on television when he was at 198 wins. And as I watched his stuff... And if you look at his season stats and you know how much the Cardinals have been struggling this year, I thought, man, I sure hope he can get to 200, but I'm not sure. Well, he did. And congratulations to him. And because the Cardinals are not going to be in the postseason, Adam Wainwright has one week left in his outstanding Major League Baseball career, spanning 18 seasons. Another man is on a team that's not going to be in the postseason. Another man is coming to the end of his career, a 
year major league career, a career that is going to lead to a first ballot Hall of Fame induction. And as Miguel Cabrera and the Detroit Tigers make their rounds and they actually made their final road trip this past week, he is being honored by those teams as he comes into town for his final trip. And early last week, he was honored by the Los Angeles Dodgers. So when I heard the Dodgers were going to give Miguel Cabrera some kind of gift, I was wondering what it would be. No, Martin, there it is. How about a Hollywood star for Miggy Cabrera? A cool moment. There's a fellow countryman there from Venezuela and former teammate J.D. Martinez as well. I mean, what a gift, obviously. And I also heard that they also gave him some money for his foundation as right. well, which I think was also very classy. But, you know, obviously celebrating a Hall of Fame player. What an unbelievable and tremendous career for Miguel Cabrera. Congrats, Miguel Cabrera. You see the bazooka right there? His hero was Miguel Cabrera growing up there in Venezuela. Outstanding gesture by the Dodgers. It's hard to think of many right-handed hitters better than him in the history of the game. No doubt. One of the best of all time. You see that check also the Dodgers presented him with for his foundation. So a classy act by the Los Angeles Dodgers. And by the way, that check that they gave him for his foundation was for $5,000. That was early last week. The final road trip for the Tigers, and therefore for the career of Miguel Cabrera, was to Oakland. That was at the end of last week. Actually, the the road trip ended on a Sunday, yesterday. And in contrast to the Dodgers, the A's presented Miguel Cabrera with a bottle of wine. I guess about $100 cost to this bottle of wine. And while I enjoy wine, I would not spend $100 on a bottle of wine. But the Oakland A's surely could afford more than that. But even worse than that, worse than a $100 bottle of wine, is that Miguel Cabrera is a recovering alcoholic. So quite a contrast between Southern California, the Dodgers, and Northern California, the A's. Now those two things, Wayno picking up number 200, Miguel Cabrera finishing out his Hall of Fame career are probably something that pretty much every baseball fan is very familiar with and understands and and has seen what's going on. Something, however, that is likely under the radar of many baseball fans is something else that happened last week. Not with a player, a former player, but a man who is now a current manager. Craig Council with the Brewers last week picked up career win number 700 as a manager. And at this point in time in his life, all of those victories have come with the Brewers. Also last week, Craig Council and the Milwaukee Brewers clinched a postseason berth on Friday by beating the Marlins. Now the Marlins came back to win Saturday and Sunday, so the Brewers still are one win away or one loss away, their magic number is one, of being crowned NL Central champs. But that's going to happen. So with Craig Council leading the way for the Milwaukee Brewers, 700-plus wins, five of the eight full seasons he's been the manager, they have qualified for the postseason. When they clinch the NL Central Championship sometime in the next day or two, it will be the third such championship since 2018 under Craig Council. Craig Council took over in 2015, about 25 games or so into the season, taking over for Ron Renneke. And he has recorded a winning record in six of his eight full seasons. One of the ones 
one of the seasons in which he didn't have a winning record, I just toss out anyway. It was the COVID season when there were only 60 games, and I think the Brewers were two games under 500. Over the course of his career, he has, as a manager, a 530, slightly above 530 winning percentage. Congratulations to him. I think he's a very good manager. I think he's a good uh, strategic manager. I think he handles the clubhouse very well. But Craig Council does not have a contract to manage when this season ends. There have been speculations that maybe he will not be in the dugout anymore, that he'll move on to something else. There's wonder, is, are the Brewers going to make an attempt? And are they going to be able to resign him? And then, of course, because of what happened a couple of weeks ago, though there's a lot of parts that would have to move in this scenario, people are saying, will Craig Council be brought to the New York Mets by David Stearns? Don't know. Of course, you got Buck Showalter still there. It, we're going to have to wait and see. But nonetheless, again, an outstanding managerial career up to this point for Craig Council. Now, on Friday, as the Brewers were clinching that postseason berth, there was an extremely talented young man who was taking in what he has accomplished this season as he trotted around the bases. Hammered, left field, gone! Ronald Acuna, another milestone in a truly historic season. 40 home runs. Fifth player ever in baseball history with a 40-40 season. Enjoy the moment, Ronald. I don't know, that a bullet. I think it's the most we've seen Ronald celebrate something this year. Almost like a relief that he got that 40th. That was in Washington against the Nationals on Friday night, home run number 40. Now, Acuna Jr. had long ago surpassed 40 stolen bases. But as you heard in that clip, he is the fifth player in Major League Baseball in one season to have 40 or more home runs, 40 or more stolen bases. He joins these four. Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, and Alfonso Soriano. Now, he is also the only player with a 40-60 season. 40 home runs, 60 stolen bases. He's currently two stolen bases away from 40-70. What a season. Yeah, and I get it. Stolen bases are definitely easier given the rule changes as it regards disengagements and throwovers, but you cannot take away anything from what Ronald Acuna Jr. has accomplished this season and in his career. Now, we have one week left in the regular season. There's only one division race, in my opinion, that's yet to be decided. That would be the AL Central. I'm sorry, the AL West. And there are a few wildcard spots still to be determined. And of course, Ronald Acuna Jr. has a few more games to see if he can get to 70 stolen bases and add to his impressive season stats. And there are other players like that as well. And the final week should prove very enjoyable. And then when it's over, the playoffs begin. So enjoy it all. Last night, I happened to watch the Mets-Phillies game. It was the one game I could watch in the evening. It was delayed because of rain. And I had the joy of watching something take place at the end of the game, in the eighth inning. The joy of watching a father in the stands weeping tears of joy as he watched his son make his major league debut. His son, who pitched at five levels of professional baseball just this year, low A, high A, 
Double A, Triple A, and last night the major leagues. Orion Kirkering watched Orion Kirkering, father watching the son, have a three up, three down inning with two strikeouts. And I had the joy and the pleasure and the privilege of watching this father. And I can think about it both from when I was on that field and when my parents first saw me pitch live. It wasn't my first major league game because I was with the Giants. It was in Cincinnati. And I remember the feeling as a player. And then I could also think about what it would feel like for me as a father to watch my son. And watching Orion Kirkering, the son, with his poise in that situation was, was a joy. And also, his slider is some kind of nasty. And he's got a velo, fastball velo in the upper 90s, but man, that slider is something else. Now, we might see this young man on the postseason roster for the Phillies, which would be exciting. And Lord willing, we may see him in Major League Baseball with that dominating slider for many years to come. So there are a couple of players early in their career. Obviously, with Acuna Jr., he's established as a bona fide, elite, all-star, MVP-type player. Whereas for Kirkering, he had his first ever inning last night. But I want to return to another player who is older. And in case you think I'm biased toward old people, just remember this, that when we're talking about Wayno or Miggy or the man I'm about to talk to about, Joey Votto, They may be old in baseball terms, but they're young compared to me. But yesterday, Joey Votto, who has played almost two decades in this game, two decades with only one team, the Cincinnati Reds, may have, and again, may have is key because the Reds still have a chance to make the postseason, but may have played his final game ever in Cincinnati. And if the Reds don't make the postseason, yesterday is likely the last game in Cincinnati at Great American Ballpark for Joey Votto. And this is what happened in his first at-bat of yesterday's game. So Joey Votto came to the plate in the second inning, got in the box, and the fans started giving him an ovation. He turned and looked at the umpire and said, hey, can I have a minute? And gratefully, the umpire gave it to him, and it was well over a minute. And all you hear is the audio. You've got to watch the video in the interaction between Votto and the fans. But it was must-watch television. And Votto showing his appreciation as the fans were giving their appreciation to Joey Votto. So that happened in the second inning. But then Joey Votto, after the game, did an on-field post-game interview, and this is some of what he said. For for you to uh, stop, me in the tra- stop me in my tracks, stop the game, it means a great deal to me. So uh, thank you. You, you. You almost had me crying. 
I, I, I almost cry, you know, like, there's no crying in baseball. And, um, no, it, 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 truly I'm speechless, and it meant so much. Uh, that moment was really special to me. I, um, I, you know, it's a good win, good team win to get. That's what we're here for, to give you that. We're going to fight all the way to the very end of the season. This team is tenacious. This team is tenacious. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how badly this team wants to play for you all. They love it here. They love representing this city. And I've been able to do it for 17 years. What a tremendous honor so far. And uh, five more games to go, we're gonna try to give it to you. So stay with us. Uh, you, we will, we'll fight to the very end. So thank you so much. Thank you. Without being too dramatic. Think about just this one episode and the highlights of what we were able to enjoy in the past week in Major League Baseball. We should be continually giving thanks to the Lord for allowing us to experience, to watch such things. And as I've been watching things throughout the season, and again, we're a week away from the end of the regular season, it seems to me, and this is especially true on social media, that there's a tendency. There's a tendency for baseball fans or even people that are players or coaches or managers or whatever to go into one ditch or the other. One of the ditches is not taking in with joy and giving thanks to the Lord for all that we are treated with in and through the game of baseball. But the other ditch, which is dangerous as well, is kind of burying our head in the sand. Not recognizes changes to the game, the direction in the game that should cause us concern. Now, I hope this episode encourages you with that which is good and true and beautiful about the greatest game on the planet. But there is something that I've been taking in throughout this season, and I've only spoken about minimally in the bullpen. The people and the stories I've focused on today are good for the game of baseball. But what I've been observing, something that is going on off the field is not good. I would argue it is detrimental to the well-being of the game. How detrimental? How much so? Well, that will only be known in time. But what I do know is this, that right now it is destructive to fans of the game, and I'm going to say likely to people directly involved in the game. I believe that Major League Baseball is complicit in the damage being done to lives and families by its promotion and endorsement of gambling. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.